What up, guys? Happy Monday. This will be one of just a couple of shows we have this week, with it being the holidays and all, but we have a winner to announce of the grand prize of the WGT closest to the whole challenge. That is right. The big winner, drumroll please, Daniel Beverly has won the grand prize drawing of the closest to the whole challenge. That means for you, Daniel, if you're listening, you win your choice since you're in Wyoming. You might be close enough to get the abs tickets if that's what you want, or you can get a jersey of your choosing up to you. Either way, give us a ring at lindsay at the dnvr.com. That's L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y, lindsay at the dnvr.com. You can pick your winning prize there and, yeah, just enjoy the uh, gift, I suppose. Happy holidays and all of that. Congratulations once again. Let's jump into this show. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole. A left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scores. Nathan McKinnon. Call J.T. Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon. My goodness gracious. Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their Colorado locations or check out online at mygreensolution.com to set yourself up for pickup. And you can use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We might be giving away some enjoyable prizes, but it's been a rough last two games for the Avs. The most recent one being... That loss to the Chicago Blackhawks, the second game in a row, the Avs blow a lead late in the third period. I want to say I'm actually not as worried as a lot of people are about this, but AJ, obviously this is a very bad trend for the Avs. Yeah, I mean, that one's unacceptable. Yep. <clears throat> That's, I I don't even know if there's another word for it. Um, you know what? What happened with Carolina, a one-goal game, one bounce, one shift, one play, anything can happen in a one-goal game, especially against a team that's as good as Carolina is. That one sucks, and it's disappointing, but it didn't feel anything like what the Chicago game was because Chicago is bad, um, and they had waxed the Blackhawks, uh, and they were a period away from sweeping them on the season. Um, and being done with them. See you nerds next year. And they just couldn't finish it out. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's complacency, uh, laziness, whatever it was. I really don't, but it's not acceptable. I mean, you can't, you know, you say that this is a learning opportunity. It shouldn't take this to learn that. I mean, you don't have to blow a game to know that it's bad. You know, I don't, right. I don't, I don't have to rob a bank to learn that it's a crime. I already know that that's bad. 
Well, and you're right. With the Carolina game, they had every excuse in the world. Second half of a back-to-back, yada, 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 yada. Yeah. The Chicago game, there were no excuses. They had the day off before the game. It's mm-hmm. a team they know how to beat. It's They came out in the first period and looked great. They were dominating that team like you expected. And then it all just – the wheels came off, basically. Pretty much. And, <clears throat> you know, Bedner said after the Florida game, uh, and I mentioned this after Carolina loss, you know, that they – uh, you know, Bedner said if they after after they blew the Florida game, if they lost, if they blew leads one out of if they blew one out of every twelve games, he would take that. And they went twenty four games without doing it, and then they blew back to back. So one the 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 rate of one every twelve games is right on now. Um, so it's it's disappointing, man. It really is because. This is a team that has has shown through what thirty five games, however many games played it is now, uh, that they are they are not like the previous iterations. That they've pushed back, they've closed a lot of games out. Uh, they were what I think seventeen zero and one going into third in 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 games in which they had the lead going into the third period until the Chicago loss. So I think it probably. It's probably more magnified because it happened two games in a row. Yeah, I I absolutely think it is more magnified, but you do bring up a good point in one of the big things for me that was a separator for this team was they were closing out those games. Wasn't yeah. always the cleanest, wasn't maybe the way you wanted to see the game played. A lot of the times through the early part of the season, we talked about, you know what, the Avs are winning with their B or even C games at times. Right now, they're not getting away with it anymore. They are getting caught. They are getting beat by teams that they weren't able to put down earlier in the game. Yeah. Um, but well, in like the Carolina game, it's just I think we should separate those two because that's a 0-0 zero, sure. zero game going into the third period. It's a completely different kind of game being played. They had, I mean, they had a 2 nothing lead. Goal gets disallowed. Um, it ends up one, one, and then they, they build up another lead, a two, one, three, one going into the third period. And that's with Ranton and missing a wide open net. that could have also blown the game open. You know, they missed opportunities to really separate in that game. I mean, they blew a power play in the third period. They're up three, one, they score there. It's four, one Chicago packs it in, gets out of town and everybody's happy. They had plenty of opportunities. We're not having this conversation right now. Right now we're talking about them going into Vegas, feeling a little better about themselves. And, you know, let's see. Let's see what they do against a Golden Knights team that's going to remember what happened earlier this year. And instead, it's like, great. Now what happens if they lose this game, too? We talked about how they went into uh, the they went one, four and one in the six games after the St. Louis loss earlier. They lose to St. Louis and. They win the first game after, and they've lost the two cents. Yep. You know, it's just trend. It's it's a little eerie that they repeated an eight zero and one stretches going into St. Louis twice, lose the game, and then win the first game back, and then it's like, all right, losing streak time. Like you want, hopefully, hopefully they end that streak on Monday so that we can stop comparing the two. But if they lose Monday, it's it's a little eerie, like how similar it is. It is. It is certainly odd to to see the 
I guess I, it is a little eerie, but the Avs have shown well, they go out and beat teams like Calgary and seemingly break them. And the Blues just seem to be that team for the Avs where yeah. it gets them all out of sync and they're just, they can't do anything right all of a sudden. Well, and even that, I mean, Calgary walked in and beat Colorado a couple of weeks ago, put up five goals on Francois. They did. So it's, you got to find the you know, answer sooner or later. And yeah. that's, that's, that's a game where they had, I believe they had one, nothing and two, one leads in the, in that game. Yep. It's and been they a gave bit up of a concern. And we, you know, we don't talk about that game the same way because they gave up two goals in the first three minutes of the third period. And then they were able to work their way back. But the, the part of that that stands out to me is the two goals in three minutes because they did the same thing in St. Louis this week. And then they did the same thing in Carolina and the same thing in the Chicago game. I think it was what? 32 seconds in Carolina and 28 in Chicago or against Chicago. Something it was very, those numbers are very close, if not accurate. So, but we're talking, we're talking under 40 seconds for each of those, for those games to turn on a dime. It's two shifts in a row. And I asked Bedner about not taking the timeout. And I said, you know, in hindsight, would you have been better served maybe using the timeout after one of those goals? And he said, yeah, possibly. And I think that, I, I think that, you know, that's a that's a pretty telling answer because he's in those in, in his explanation was, hey, I put out a line that has been playing well and I was liking what I was hearing on the bench. I, the, the guys were saying all the right things. I thought that their mindset was what, where it needed to be. I didn't think that their head was in the clouds or that they were out of it. I was comfortable trusting them and letting them work their way through it because I, I think that they, you know, we, it was an, it was an illuminating answer for me because I think it illustrated one of the lines that we always talk about, about where coaching ends and playing begins. And I think that that helped uh, his answer kind of helped illuminate or shine some light on how he approaches that situation and why he's as conservative with the timeout as he is. Yeah, and I, to an extent, I can even understand not using the timeout after the first goal. After the second goal, no. Yeah, you have to use it there, and they ended up getting away with it, but 20 seconds after that second goal, Miko Rantanen takes a penalty, and the Abs could have thrown the game away right then and there instead Mm -hmm. of five minutes later, and that... Especially then, if you're hearing on the bench that the team feels like they're good, they're still in this, they're fine to go, then they give up that second goal, then you need a timeout because you know something's off. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, and I think that I think that this is one of those things we've talked about with Bedner, uh, the timeout usage. And look, the timeout is no longer tied to challenges. Right. It, there's, there's, no repercussion, uh, yeah. there's no repercussion for him taking a timeout. Uh, and And then something happens to his team later in the game. And what frustrated me the most was that he didn't even take the timeout when they got the extra attacker on the ice. Uh, he just put it in his back pocket. Right. It, another game where it went unused entirely. So. And that, you know, as a coach, like a coach only has so many levers to pull to change games. It's, you know, you can give them the big speech. You can bench a guy, lines, uh, line combinations, and the timeout. Well. Before we get out of this period, let's talk about that too. The first, or the second goal for the Hawks, the first one in the third period, Patrick Kane gets out on the ice. Abs don't match with Nikita Zadorov. 
after Zadorov had played exceptionally well, shutting him down once again throughout this game. And after a TV timeout. So right. you can't plenty rested plenty of plenty of rest. That's all. That's all that those guys will need. To me, it's just a bad decision. So between Pratt or Bednar, I'm not sure. I'm not 100 percent sure which one of those guys made that call. But it's one of those two dudes and they made the wrong call. And obviously it's it's easy in hindsight to say that and have had Grubauer made what I think was a pretty routine save. We wouldn't be having this conversation, but he didn't. And when uh, that that doesn't happen, I, you're going to disagree with the routine save part. That's fine. Um I thought it was I thought it was soft and all the all the Grubauer hating, I think it starts there for me. Uh but I I think that you go with what works and through Three and two thirds games, we'd seen Nikita Zadorov swallow up Patrick Kane at even strength. The Grubauer save, look, very well could have been saved if it was read correctly by Grubauer. I don't know if I'd call it routine, but he absolutely could have bailed his team out on that one. Nonetheless, in a one goal game, you have essentially given up a three on one situation and you end up giving up another goal to a cross ice pass where your forwards just get caught behind the play. And that, I mean, uh, keep an eye on JT Comfer with, yeah. the, with the scratch in, in Vegas because five minutes of even strength ice time. Uh, and then they put him out for that, that shift. It, one of his only shifts, maybe his only shift at even strength in the third period and lazy on the back check. Um, both he and Kadri, both of them, lazy through the neutral zone on the back check, uh, did not chase down a hard charging Kirby Doc. They had their chance, man, and they could have chased him. Mean, we're talking Kirby Doc, though. What was the one knock on him when we talked all about him during the draft process? It was just skating. If Kadri, if Kadri and Comfer can't can't get down the ice and and keep up with that dude, they got way bigger problems. One hundred percent. We'll end the first period of the podcast there. These blown games have certainly been leading me to the drink, so it's time to talk about Breckenridge Brewery, and as December gets into its final week here, they are still running a deal partnering with Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits as the brewery of the month over there. You can download their app and enjoy a six-pack for just $7.99 through the rest of the month, so get in on that during this holiday week you can still get it from there obviously with christmas coming up i gotta recommend the christmas ale because that's just what's in style and apparently that is what is available everywhere because everybody is propping it up popping it off i know aj will be getting some of that when he goes to vegas apparently it's all the rage out in the desert as well dude so almost all of the major casinos out there on the strip uh according to breck brews beer locator uh, are with the Christmas are down with the Christmas sale. There you go. So you know what? It's it's popular everywhere. Keep an eye out for it there or just at your local liquor store. I'm sure you can find it there as well. And keep an eye on the Breckenridge event calendar on DNVR as always. If you missed it over the weekend, we had another tailgate for the Broncos game and we're giving away free Breck beer to everyone who showed up. So Don't miss out on those type of opportunities. We will be back in a second. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm Rudo. He's AJ. We kind of left off where the Avs give up the tying goal. We had talked about Nikita Zadorov. A funny thing on the go-ahead goal for Chicago. 
Nikita Zadorov actually made a fantastic stick lift on Patrick Kane coming down the slot to prevent that goal. And then again, two forwards standing around, this time Landis Gog and Rantanen were the criminals not covering anything in the high slot. It goes right to Kubalak and it's in the back of their net. What What's going on with this disconnect between the Avs forwards and their decor right now? I will say it was nice to see Z finally take somebody out in front of the net. Yeah. Uh, now that now that he's done it, next time if it's not his own goaltender, that would be progress. <laughs> so it was it was nice to see him finally lay somebody out in front of the net. Though I was like, yeah, there you go, big man. All right, progress. Now just make sure he's wearing the other team's jersey next time. <laughs> well, the the disconnect is all about effort. Yeah. I'm I'm hesitant to get after guys on things like effort and how much they care because it's so anecdotal and it's something that people almost always wield out of anger. But when it comes to defense, defense is almost always about commitment. And and like there are certain things you're just not going to be very good at in life. And reading the play defensively is very different than reading the play offensively. You know, we see it with defensemen who can't, you know, some guys just are not built to jump in and provide a lot of offense. They don't read the offense the same way, and they're just not good like that. It's the same thing with forwards playing defense. They don't read the game defensively at the same kind of level that they do on the other end when they're creating, when they're on offense and they see the gaps and they see the openings and all that. They just don't process the game that way. And that's okay. You can get by with i mean you have elite you have elite skills you're in the nhl you've got some elite combination of something because you're in the nhl the commitment is what separates a lot of guys in the defensive end from the from the baddies you don't have to be the brightest player on the defensive side if you run around with your hair on fire a little bit i mean if you just if you just even if you just go into full stalker mode and you're like, this is my guy. I'm going to just hang on him. He never gets the puck kind of right. thing. And and if he does, I, you know, I yeah. make life an absolute misery for him. It's, it's the worst, you know, like it's, it's so much of it is commitment and it's been, it's been disappointing to see some of the forwards and against Chicago, it was Colorado's best forwards. They're, I mean, the whole top six really. Yeah, you're talking you're talking Donskoy and Burakovsky were not very good. Kadri was Kadri and Rantanen were atrocious. And I would say Landeskog was maybe just the slightest tick above atrocious into very bad. And then of all of them, I minded McKinnon the least uh defensively. And that's I would agree. that's not something that we tend to say very much, but he has McKinnon has turned a corner this year defensively, and it's entirely about his commitment to it. He actively he actively decided he wanted to get more involved in that part of the game and to start becoming more of a difference maker on that end. So he has. He's gotten better at it, and last night was another example of that because he was working hard back there, and even when his line mates weren't doing a damn thing, he was still at least trying something, and when they weren't, and if you're not going to be successful on offense, at least be a try-hard defensively. Like, you can't go out there and just, especially those guys, they can't go out there and be a net negative. You just can't. Your best players is your worst players is a recipe for disaster. Um, 
I will say I'm not ready to sound any alarms on the top six struggling in this game, particularly. No. Um, you know, McKinnon had what a seven or eight game point streak right into this game, and yeah, and had Rant- a goal taken away from him. Right, right, and Ranton and Landeskog had kind of found a bit of a better groove producing in the last couple of games. So one night missing that isn't that big of a deal to me, but it, McKinnon is really a perfect example of he's never going to be an all-star for his defensive play, but it's a play here, a play there that breaks up that one extra chance that we're starting to see from him that just is enough to make that difference. And that's a stark contrast to what the Av second line has been doing over the past handful of games where it's just been basically a non-factor at best. Well, and Burakovsky and the turnovers. Yeah. I Just throwing pucks all over the place, man. So careless. It's not good. He actually managed to recover one of his more egregious ones against Chicago, but it it's not been pretty for him or Rantanen, for that matter. Both had just terrible, terrible passes from the defensive zone. The thing, the thing um, focusing on Burakovsky for just a, a second here, the big thing with him is that uh, talking to some of the scouts and asking what they saw, uh, what they've seen is the big difference between last year, you know, Washington Burakovsky and Colorado Burakovsky is they said that he's a lot looser. Yeah. You know, Not they said, yeah. and they said, look, look at him, watch him during warmups. He's out there dancing to the music. He's skating around. He's having fun. He's interacting with teammates. He just looks a lot more in his element and a lot more comfortable. And I think some of that looseness has translated into carelessness because when you feel like you're playing with house money, you're, you know, you get a little hyphy at times. And I think that that's, that might've overtaken him a little bit where the commitment to the little details that were, that were getting him the success he found earlier in the season hasn't been at the same level as he tries to balance okay, I'm successful and I have to take it this, you know, this seriously. Uh, and, uh, you know, but if I, I still have to be loose enough where I'm, I can find that success because if I'm not loose, then I'm, I'm not effective. You know, if I get too uptight, I go right. back to the Washington version. It's about dialing it in now. Exactly. And now he's just got to, he's just got to hone it in and figure out the happy medium for him. And if he does that, uh, I think that we're going to see a borderline all-star player. I was on Twitter the other day, kind of looking into the statistics behind it. Despite those dicey turnovers, he has continued to be, at least when it comes to driving possession, the most effective second liner for the abs over this last stretch of games, which I think that's less of a positive for Burakovsky, but more of a condemnation of Kadri and Donskoy's play over the last few games since Rantanen and Landeskog have returned. And yes, I understand that there's going to be a level of regression there because they don't get to play with McKinnon anymore. Sure. But it's been a very steep drop off for them. Yeah. Their effectiveness really it's tanked hard. Yeah. But you knew it wasn't going to stick where it was. I mean, we were talking these, these guys who have all been like 30 ish point guys in their careers. were all on like 70 point paces. 
you know, and and the top line guys even, you know, I mean, Miko was on like a 95 point pace at one point. And it's yeah. like, like, <laughs> that's all good and well while it's happening, but you have to understand, like, that's gonna hit a wall at some point. You just can't have it be a hard wall. You, you know, it, you don't want it to be, you don't want them to continue to be 30 point guys because they've had such hot starts where you're like, all right, they need to be 50 point guys. Cause if they are 30 point guys from here on out, you're not nearly as dangerous a team. Right. That's just kind of the reality of, of the way this team was built was for some of those guys to take that next step. And Again, this is a small sample size. They may well get this back on track. You sure hope they do. But it's been a harsh week or two. for Kadri, I think, through the last 10 games is below 40% Corsi 4. And some of that stuff is just brutal to look at. Yeah, Well, and I mean, as a team, they just got punched in the face this week. Straight up. I mean, the two losses, obviously. Just, well, and, and St. Louis game. It starts with St. Louis and it ends like that. Yeah, not not a fun <laughs> a disaster time for sure. Um, so when I guess the point I'm getting at is when I'm looking at that top six, yeah, sure, the top line took that night off a little bit, maybe, or just couldn't get it going. But the bigger issue is that second line to me, and we've had this conversation a number of times about finding pairings of players that work. Bottom six, you have guys like Calvert and Belmar that you just stick together and you know what you can get out of them. Well, they had instant chemistry, and you can't explain why. Like, on paper, you're like, oh, they make plenty of sense. But on paper, so do Kadri and Burakovsky and Donskoy. Right, and and right now that chemistry just isn't there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Nachushkin has even worked his way into the conversation of uh, having great chemistry with some guys. And to be honest with you, we're at the point now where I'm like, why not see what Nachushkin can do next to Kadri? I mean, if he's going to stay hot, it can't hurt, right? You know, because taking him away from Belmar and Calvert doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't worry me because you still have Matt Nieto there. And we know right. that that works. So you can always go to that well, always. And... I would be willing to give that a look. I, I mean, I would, I would be willing to give it a look and uh, sit JT Comfort for a game, bring in Kamenev uh, to play with Jost and Nieto, um, and then, you know, trying to Chushkin next to Kadri. Make it happen, or go totally insane and call up Shane Bowers instead of playing Kamenev, but. <laughs> I mean, that's a total pipe dream from the beginning. I know uh, Shane's playing real well right now. So he sure is. Um, yeah. Well, in the second period here, the Avs are, we thought they might've been in the tippy top tax bracket, but maybe they got a little bit more work to do on their W2. I'm not sure, but there's a new alternative for addressing those tax needs. An analogy. <laughs> Symbiotax and Administration provides its clients with honest and knowledgeable tax services from a licensed professional. Our man George basically is Symbiotax, and he's a proud DNVR subscriber and diehard abs fan. Whether you have a small business, you're looking to rent out a room, or if you're just looking to get your tax return filed, go to a qualified professional like George. Don't end up at one of those retail tax chains. Call Symbiotax today for a free consultation at 720 720- 
866-446-4470 or visit them online at symbiotax.com. That's S-Y-M-B-I-O-Tax.com. The third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution, still with Rudo and AJ. So, we fairly solidly established that blowing two leads late in a row is bad. You can certainly <laughs> bring out the Chicago game as significantly worse. All of this ties back into the Avs struggling after playing against the St. Louis Blues. With all of that in mind... How much stock do you put into this upcoming Vegas game? Is it important for the Abs to right the ship before this quick Christmas break? Definitely. Uh, we have talked uh, quite a bit this year about the importance of uh, these guys finding a way to avoid the losing skids that have plagued them in the past. Yep. That's exactly what they need to do. Uh, and, a, you know, a win against <clears throat> a win against Vegas makes sure that that doesn't happen. I kind of look at it like this. Last year, the Avs spent two months straight losing. <laughs> you start off this season well, you go on that five-game skid. Five games is a whole lot better than two months. That's the bar now. The right. Avs need to cut this shorter than that five-game losing streak. For me, it's don't ever let it get to three because, you know, I grew up watching Major League. You win three in a row, you're on a winning streak. You lose <laughs> three in a row, you're on a losing streak. Yep. So if you're going to lose games, stop it at two in a row. Don't ever get on a streak. Let's be honest. I think both you and I call this team a contender, and that's what contenders do. I uh, definitely and I I'd like to talk about this a little bit actually, because what do contenders do? They win more games than non-contenders, and they win rounds in the playoffs. And we don't usually end up knowing who the contenders are until it's all done. You know, and because it's like, oh, uh, real contenders don't don't blow games like what the Avs just did against Chicago. And it's like Boston has dominated this season right out of the out of the gate. Yep. And they've lost like eight of their last nine and I think five in a row now. And it's like, is anybody looking at them and, and thinking, oh, well, they're not a contender now. And no, it, no. exactly. St. Louis could go on a 10-game losing streak right now, and everybody would still be like, as soon as they righted the ship, as soon as they won one game, two games in a row, the conversation would be like, well, that was weird. Back on to business. Yeah. What what contenders do in an 82-game season, <laughs> it looks different for all of them. 82 games is a long time. It's a six-month regular season. There are a lot of ups and a lot of downs for everybody. Part of what made the whole Tampa Bay thing last year so remarkable was that they didn't really have very many down. They just continued to win. And we just don't see that in the NHL. The league is too good. Anything can happen on any given night. There are too many variables between puck lucks and goaltenders and, and players being human where you have no idea about the variance in their performance from day to day. There's just too many things. Contender, the contender sausage is made a lot of different ways. And I get, I've gotten very frustrated reading over the last 48 hours, 72 hours that the abs can't be contenders because of how the last two games have ended. And to me, I'm just like, look, this isn't true. As long as, as long as this does not stretch on into a two month thing, 
as long as this does not get into a lengthy losing skid or them playing a stretch below 500 hockey, then they're going to continue to be contenders. And, you know, all of this talk about how to perceive this team in the big picture just is not relevant. I I talked about this in my video. We kind of started to get into it in the first period and glossed over it. I think a lot of the reason that the community is having this outpouring of, of feeling like maybe the Avs aren't contenders is because losing two games in a row like that, it immediately taps into the deepest primal fears of the Avalanche's fan base of, oh God, we've seen this before. We know what's coming next. And that's where these next games become more important for the Avs to prove that we are mentally tougher than teams of the past. We are able to get this ship righted. It's not the spiraling doom, death, destruction at every turn from here on out. Yeah, and like, how do you lose five games in a row? Well, you gotta lose two to get there. Right, that's the start of it. <laughs> and so, you know, I under and I, I completely, one thousand percent understand the PTSD that the fan base suffers from. That forty-eight point season is just too recent. It's too fresh. It's too raw. It was too real, and there were too many players and the same coaching staff in place for it. So I under, I understand the fear. And the notion that this could spiral into that, but they're different teams. There are zero indications, right, that the Avs are going down that same path at this they're, point. Right. It, they're just different teams. And, you know, this whole like, oh, this the season is over and, you know, that, oh, this team will never go deep and, and all that. I mean, why bother playing the rest of the, why bother playing the rest of the season then? Pack it up. <laughs> honestly yeah. just award award the cup to whoever you think is most deserving whatever whichever team fits your traditional bill of what a contender looks like give it to washington cool we're done let's get out of here congrats ovi i mean that's why they play the games right i know it's yeah. a stupid cliche it but- is it is why they play the games and i think we need to remember that because you don't know what's going to happen on any given night. You know, the the abs are going to have lots of little advantages in Vegas on Monday night. And, you know, Kale McCarr coming back and Vegas and San Jose Sunday night. And, and the abs, you know, fired up after a couple of losses, a couple of disappointing losses. I mean, I think there's there are a lot of things that could go f- that, that could break Colorado's way to set up for this to be a get right game for them. The one thing I'm, I would say I'm most concerned about is the fact that they smoked Vegas last time, and there's a lot of pride in there. Teams don't like getting blown out. They get embarrassed by it, and they're not going to like it the next time that they see that team. You know, the next time the Avs and Predators play, you think it's not going to be in their mind what happened last time? Especially with this Vegas game, because it's in their building again. It's Well, it's in their building, and it's right before the holidays, and like it's a charged-up crowd. It's going to be very festive. Uh, there's going to be, a there's going to be a lot of liquor flowing guaranteed. Uh, there's, it's going to be, it's going to be an amped up evening. And I don't, I don't know what the, uh, the impacts of, of the, you know, the game that they play in San Jose, you know, maybe the San Jose game goes 19 shootout rounds and Vegas suffers four injuries, something crazy, you know? And, and just this depleted and exhausted squad rolls in and the Avs smoke them. 
it wouldn't take away from whatever the Avs do. Whatever the situation, regardless of any of that, the Avs need to walk out of Vegas with two points. They've got to get right. You mentioned potential injuries to Vegas. Kale McCarr on the trip with the Avs to Vegas. It's clear that some of the issues they had over these last couple of games go well beyond McCarr, but that's a significant piece. It became very obvious very quickly that the Avs missed that kid. Well, and and it would be like take Tyson Berry off last year's defense. Yep. Like take your primary puck-moving, play-driving offensive defenseman out of the lineup, and the lineup struggles offensively. It's it's weird, though, because in McCarr's absence, you know, Ian Cole had a handful of points. Ryan Graves had a handful of points. Uh, guys stepped up and, and chipped in with some offense. The number one thing that we saw, the big difference is, is that the game-breaking ability at even strength was gone, and the power play uh, is nowhere near as dangerous when the other team does not believe that your defenseman is going to shoot the puck. Yeah, the power play... It was bad after the Chicago game. To me, it almost feels like a borderline disaster. Um. Okay. I mean. And let me put it this way. If you're talking about being a contender, contenders find ways to lose games or to win games. And the Avs power play is finding ways to lose games for them right now. Yeah, I mean. I think, I think more gets made of the power play than is... It hasn't been a good unit. I the thing the big thing is is that that should be a goal every night. If you get if I think if you get three power play opportunities, you should have one goal every night with the talent that's on this top unit. I think that's a fair expectation. Um, and and like thirty three percent is not a realistic number for a team to hum along at for eighty two games, but I definitely think that they should be in the twenty five percent range. Right. That's that's what I'm saying too you know what maybe they don't get a goal every night but they're it's at 18 percent right and now. like like they go one for six against carolina and that one almost got them two points you know what 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 you need on any given night is going to be a little a little bit different because every game is different but we we also see that they had a chance to put chicago away third period with a power play you're up three one they had a chance to finish the game and, and they didn't. yeah, they just, they, that's it. They didn't, they just didn't do it. So maybe it's less a power play and more of a killer instinct type thing. Maybe. Uh, and you know, maybe they just had a bad week. We're talking about people here. Yep. You know, which, how many of us have ever gone to, to, to work for a week and been like, you know, just wasn't my best stuff this week. This was a C week. And I think that's one of the, I think in a lot of ways, that's what the Avs just lived through was, a, I mean, that's a, that's like a D minus week, but yeah, it, it was pretty rough, but, the, and, and no, no, I don't want to disagree. The power play is a problem, um, but I would much, I, I'm much more invested in the PK being good than the power play because PKs will lose you games. Power plays just help you win them. And we've seen a lot of teams win, and win big with just mediocre power plays, but you've got to have a good PK. You've got to have a good PK. So fix that. And I'd be happy with the special teams, even if they continue along at 18%, right in the middle of the road of the league, it's not great, but you know that the talent on that power play unit is there to, to get you some points throughout the season. 
I, I, there is really no excuse for it not to be better, though. I, that's Bennett's got to figure something out, and and it's not just Ray Bennett. Like it's not like the the players have to play too. You know, the players have to go out and make decisions and and play play the game and execute and do and do certain things. We can't just solely absolve all of the power plays problems. Uh, you know, the blame for the for the power play woes. We don't just absolve the players from all of it. It's insane. They have to go out and they have to deliver. They have to do the job. The The reason why we focus so much on Bennett is because there's so much talent there that it's like, hey, like I would understand if this is Detroit or Ottawa and JG Pajot is your number one center, I would understand your power play struggling. But there's no reason that a power play with this much talent should struggle. At the same time, it's not 100% on Ray Bennett or the coaches. Players have to play. They do. I, I think that's a reality. As we wrap up here, I think just to kind of reiterate, it was a bad week for the abs. We may be sitting here after New Year's on a pod saying, huh, that was a small blip on the radar. Back to business as usual. We better be, buddy. We better <laughs> be. I like the confidence. Final thoughts from you, or are you comfortable with that? Final thoughts. Um, this is our only show before the um, b- before Christmas, so I just want to wish everybody happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all those things. I hope everybody does something that makes them happy and that they enjoy either with family or friends. Or if you totally want to isolate yourself and play video games all day while eating pizza from Pizza Hut, do your thing, dude. Just Whatever you want to do, I hope everybody does. I hope I hope they allow themselves to enjoy the holidays as much as possible. And, you know, eat popcorn tins because they're delicious. Well, I agree with just about everything but that last bit. <laughs> Happy holidays from everyone here at DNVR, I guess. I can't really speak for everyone, but I'm sure that's what they all would say. We will be back the day after Christmas with a live show for you, so you have that to look forward to as well. And enjoy it. We will talk to you then. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have referred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com.